Chicago, ESPN Radio Sports Center. I'm Christine Lisi at this hour. A couple of days after leaving a game with a shoulder injury, Pelican Center Anthony Davis said he does expect to play in tonight's NBA All-Star Game, 7.30 Eastern ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Davis, a reserve on Team LeBron, held a 24-minute media session with reporters yesterday talking about his trade requests and the Celtics were on his list of teams and that his decision is about winning. It's not about market size. ESPN NBA reporter Royce Young. Anthony Davis is a pro. He's a good guy. And people that know him would tell you that he's uncomfortable with this situation. Mm. But to me, I mean, it, it's so cringy to hear him talk about New Orleans in the past tense there. You know, yeah. he's still playing for them. He says he wants to come back and play uh, after the All-Star break. And you're talking about this city and this franchise in past tense. That's that's awkward and uncomfortable and speaks to the dysfunction that's going on in that organization. Royce Young on Dickerson and Hood. Commissioner Adam Silver addressing the wave over the last couple of seasons of trade requests by marquee players in the NBA. Said he's not a fan of them. Wish they did not come in that all of those matters. He wants to be handled behind closed doors. Mark Garagos, the attorney for former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, told CNN his client absolutely wants to play in the NFL. Projected the Panthers and Patriots as two of the best landing spots for Kaepernick. Also said he wouldn't be surprised if a former Patriots assistant made a move for Kaepernick. But he didn't say whether it might be Miami's Brian Flores, Detroit's Matt Patricia, or Houston's Bill O'Brien. Golf Justin Thomas tops the leaderboard at the Genesis Open. Adam Scott is one back, and Tiger Woods has moved within five of the lead. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car care needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sucks land. What a Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome on in. The snow's falling, but not nearly as bad as some people thought it would. I sat up last night and watched the uh, weather before I went to bed. And uh, Alicia Roman on uh, Channel um, 5 was saying that uh, it was going to start around 3 or 4 in the morning. I got up at 6.30, 7 o'clock today. Still not falling in the western burbs. Then it started coming down. And uh, not that bad. Shouldn't be too bad. It's going to be throughout the course of the day. But uh, we are used to these kind of things, right? We can deal with it. Anything's better than last Monday with the uh, ice storm. Fred, you open there with you over the next couple hours. Lots of baseball talk. Without a doubt. I just got my baseball prospectus. I don't know how the mailman jammed it in the mailbox yesterday, but he did. Got it from Amazon. Uh, got the baseball prospectus. Went through, made some notes 
on both the White Sox and the Cubs. We'll talk a lot of White Sox and Cubs baseball throughout the course of the show. We'll talk free agency. Great articles in both the Chicago Sun-Times on free agency. Paul Sullivan had a nice article with uh, Ricky Renteria in the Tribune today. We will get to that and much, much more. Your calls are welcome at 312-332-3776. It is Sunday and high school basketball is coming around. You know, I don't know if people know this, but they say it each and every year down in Peoria. The original March Madness and uh, the Illinois State Basketball Tournament uh, is where it started. March Madness. And uh, I'm not sure how the NCAA got the uh, phrase or term. Maybe they paid somebody at the universe or paid somebody in Illinois. But we are going to talk some high school basketball. Not only the public league championship game today, which will be at 4.30 with um, Morgan Park going against Curry. But also, we're going to talk a little bit with Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times about the possibility that they're going to change the format of the IHSA Basketball Championship Tournament and maybe the location and the format and everything. So we'll discuss that around 11.30. But until then... Lots and lots of baseball talk. 312-332-3776. And I got a couple of uh, sports polls out there. Uh, at ESPN 1000. Uh, they've been up for a couple hours. We will uh, talk about them throughout the course of the show. Uh, the first one is, since I did yesterday, did you tune in at all to the Alliance of American Football, the AAF yesterday, week two of the season? Now, I watched week one. A lot of people watched week one. We sat here with Jeff Meller last Monday night. I work with Meller tomorrow night again from 7 till 10. And uh, we talked a little bit about the Alliance of American Football. There were two more games yesterday. And um, Mike Singletary's team, well, they had a lead. And uh, they actually prevailed eventually, or they did not prevail. They were winning by uh, by a couple touchdowns. And Arizona came back and got a win, the first road team in the league to get a win. Birmingham uh, getting a win 12-9 uh, to over Salt Lake yesterday. So I want to know if you tuned into the Alliance of American Football yesterday in Week 2, yes or no. It's a Twitter poll over at ESPN 1000. And now two baseball ones, one for Sox, one for Cubs. Always fair here. And uh, then we're going to get into some Cubs talk because it's been a kind of a rough weekend or a rough week and 10 days for Cub fans. We'll talk about that in a second. But Cub fans, where will the Cubs finish in the National League Central this year? First, second, third, or fourth or fifth? We only have four options, so I had to go first, second, third, and then the last one is fourth or fifth. And uh, for White Sox fans, who needs to have the biggest improvement this season? Is it Moncada, Giolito? Lopez or Rodan. So we'll talk a lot of Sox and Cubs baseball throughout the course of the show. As I mentioned, a rough week or 10 days for Cub fans. And uh, Chris and Adam touched on this a little bit. I want to get a little bit deeper into this. The Pakota projections were out. Initially, they had the Cubs as a team that was going to be an 82-win team. Then it changed to an 81 win team. And then before the week was over, they were an 80 win team with nothing happening throughout the course of the week. Um, 538 did some of their projections. They had the Cubs finishing third in the National League Central with 84 wins. And Fangraphs had them finishing with 88 wins. So that's not bad at all. But the article from 538, which again, Chris and Adam touched on, they were out from 8 to 10 
uh, on Sundays, kind of changing things around here now on Sunday mornings. They'll be here 8 to 10. I'll be here 10 until 12. And then once the baseball season starts, maybe a little bit later till around 1 o'clock. Um, but the article from 538, which came out the other day, it says, did the Cubs miss their chance to be a dynasty? Now, Carmen touched on this Friday because he saw the article. And everybody knows Carmen DeFalco, White Sox fan and big sabermetrics guy. And 538 came out with an article, did the Cubs miss their chance to be a dynasty? couple things, and I'm just going to skim a couple paragraphs that I pulled out of here because it's a nice article, a great article. Go to 538 and check it out if you're a Cub fan or if you're just a baseball fan because it's, it's interesting baseball talk. I told you I got the baseball perspective. I got enough reading there, but there's so many other sites between fan graphs and ESPN and MLB.com. There's so much to get your baseball fix going. Um the NL Central, have they caught up with the Cubs? Now, give it a listen here. How is it possible the Cubs went from dynasty in the making in 2016 to a team struggling to stay atop their own division in less than three years? The answer lies in part with the team's declining core and team president Theo Epstein's inability to supplement it with, with effective reinforcements from the outside, particularly when it comes to to pitching. Now, we all know what happened last year with the pitching he did try to get. Since 2016, the formula has been broken. The team's net war, that's wins above replacement, on arrivals and departures, in which Chicago topped baseball from 2012 to 2016, has dropped to eighth worst in Major League Baseball. The Cubs haven't added very many new faces, and what new acquisitions the team has made have largely flopped, particularly on the mound. Starters Tyler Chatwood, Jose Quintana, Hugh Darvish all badly underperformed their established performance levels as members of the Cubs, for instance. And as a result, Chicago has mainly had to rely on its existing core to keep the team in contention. Not only have the new players underperformed, the team's nexus of homegrown talent has too. The Cubs' holdovers are a net 14.8 war since 2016. That ranks fourth worst in Major League Baseball. The multi-year plan to build a great core and then set it loose doesn't work when the core of the team regresses. Okay? None of that is good stuff, and we know what he's talking about, the, what they're talking about, the core of the team. Obviously, your Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, all that. Uh, though Fangraphs projects the Cubs to have a top-five lineup, the site sees the pitching staff dropping outside MLB's top ten. I don't, but we'll talk about that. And with an 88-win prediction for the Cubs, Fangraphs is one of the forecasters bullish, the most bullish on Chicago's chances. Now, if the Brewers caught the Cubs on talent last season, the Cardinals might have passed them both by now. Meanwhile, Joe Madden, the final year of his contract, no extension in place going forward. From team leadership to the core of the roster, many of the factors that played a key role in Chicago's rise now look shockingly uncertain three years later. Now, the good news for Chicago, though, is that the potential still exists for an exciting summer at Wrigley Field. Even in 2016, if 2016 was an outlier, a team as talented as the 2017 and 2018 Cubs, which was, after all, good enough for an average of 93.5 wins per season, remains a contender. It might not be the dynasty that either Epstein or fans of the North Side had in mind when they were celebrating their curse-breaking World Series victory. But hey... At least it's far better than all the bad Cubs teams in the 80s and 90s that many of us grew up watching on Channel 9. 312-332-3776. When you're looking at the Cubs and you've seen all these projections, 
what have you been? What has been your stance here in the offseason? Now, one of the things a lot of Cub fans were hoping for is that the Cub fans would have money, go on out and get a Bryce Harper. Other people say, listen, and this, I'm one of these guys. They won 95 games last year with pitching staff that really struggled when, you know, you brought Cole Hamels over. He did really well. You do have Hendricks, who pitched better in the second half of the season. Uh, John Lester's pretty darn consistent. Quintana's not giving you exactly what you were looking for. Chatwood was bad. Darvish didn't help you, and Morrow was bad. Okay? Well, not bad. He was good until he got hurt and couldn't pitch anymore. But as a Cubs fan, what are your thoughts going into the season? Forget about all these other projections of what they think. That's why I asked the question to Cub fans on the Twitter poll at ESPN 1000. Where will the Cubs finish in the National League Central? Now, I look at their rotation. Their pitching rotation of Lester and Hendricks and Quintana. And then you have Hamels and Darvish. If Darvish gives you anything... Their pitching rotation should be very, very good. A lot of people say you need the you need Chris Bryant to step up and have the season like most people expect Chris Bryant to have. Okay, Chris Bryant's numbers not what they were because of his bad shoulder. Now the question is, will he be able to bounce back? Is he the most important person to bounce back on the Cubs? I'm not sure about that. I, I think you need you Darvish to come and pay, and, ha, and take that next step, Darvish. Seems like he's in good shape. He's throwing the ball. He's doing his interviews in English um, down in Arizona. So your thoughts, forget about all the projections. What are you thinking about your team as Cub fans going into this coming season? 312-332-3776. Because I think with the rotation they have, and you move Zobrist over, to second base, you have Baez as your full-time shortstop. You have Bryant at third, Rizzo at first, Contreras behind the plate. There there definitely needs to be some improvements on places. Schwarber uh, played better in the field last year. You need him to continue with what he can do, hitting the ball. I think he got on base a little bit better last year than he did the year before. Um, you have weapons. You have what you have. And a lot of people are talking up St. Louis because they got two guys. Andrew Miller, who's coming in out of the bullpen, and Paul Goldschmidt, okay? I don't know that that's enough to put the Cardinals where everybody thinks they are. And the Brewers, I still think the Brewers are going to be really, really good. I think they were good last year. They're going to be good again this year. And I think they're going to get some of their pitching back. Um, So your thoughts on the Cubs going forward. And as we say that, before I get to some White Sox stuff, I, I uh, I grab my baseball prospectus. It is a big, log book. Big, huge, heavy book. Let me see how many pages. Let me go to the back. There's a couple of empty pages. I guess you can take notes and put them in there. I would probably do that. 593 pages of baseball stuff, okay? Lots and lots of stuff. Each chapter on the team starts off with an essay. Now, I understand people like Parks and Rec and a lot of things, and Nick Offerman's a funny guy. He's also a Cubs fan. And he wrote the essay for the Cubs. Now, I was telling Black and Abdallah before I sat down to do the show and they were on their way out. It's cool that he wrote it. He talks about fandom and growing up a Cubs fan and all that stuff. And said mom's team was the Cubs and dad's team was the Cubs. So, by God, our team became the Cubs. Aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, and pets. It was almost assuredly in our blood. We were born breathers of oxygen, consumers of buttered sweet corn, drinkers of beer, players 
uh, of Liverpool, rummy and mowers of grass, but above all, we were born diehard Cub fans. Now, usually when I look at these things, I'm looking for in-depth analysis of certain things. I wasn't looking for a Nick Offerman essay. Um, I'll look, I'll read the entire thing a little bit later on. Again, 593 pages. We'll see how long it takes me to get through it. But some interesting things in the baseball prospectus about individual players. Now, they have projections for each individual player. And they say a couple things about Albert Almora. I've been an Almora fan, and I thought he should be your everyday center fielder. Give him the opportunity. Put him out there and see what happens. That's not the way the Cubs do things. Okay, it's not the way that Joe Madden runs his team. He has guys out there. He puts them in, uses replacements late in the game. He makes sure everybody stays fresh. But listen to this about Albert Almora. Here's a number I didn't know. I don't know if other people did, if, if it's a known fact, but it surprised me. Almora appeared in all but 11 games for the Cubs in 2018. He also started just 94 of them. No other player who appeared in at least 150 games was in the starting lineup less than 125 games. In fact, only four other players in Major League history have appeared in as many games in a single season without reaching 100 starts. Early career Shane Victorino and Andrew Jones, late career Ichiro and journeyman Jim Eisenreich. It's an unusual group reflecting Almora's atypical role. He is something more than a fourth outfielder. Fourth outfielders don't get 500 plate appearances, yet clearly short of a full-time regular. And that's at least partly due to Joe Madden's managerial tendencies and the Cubs' roster construction. Now, that was interesting. I didn't know that. I know that he was out there a lot. I'd like to see him start more often. And I know that they moved Hayward out there quite often. They did other things. That is one of the things I pulled from baseball perspectives. We'll get to the calls in a second. 312-332-3776. Wilson Contreras, another guy that everybody needs to see have a better season. Not only, it's funny, when you think of Contreras, you go, well, he needs a better season at bat because behind the plate, he's really, really good. I thought so, too until I read some of the numbers in baseball prospectus. Contreras, one of the game's best backstops in a variety of ways. He caught 34% of attempted base stealers, picked off another seven runners, more than any other catcher in the majors. He's also one of the game's best blockers, ranking in the top five in blocking runs. There's just one issue. His presentation is worse than those PowerPoints. Um, with 50-word bullet points and completely incongruous animation that Jordan and marketing makes you sit through at team meetings every Monday morning, okay? Contreras cost his team dearly with his framing this year, negating all the runs he gained in the other defensive areas and then some. I've never been the biggest framing fan because I think framing is basically cheating. You're taking you're taking a, a ball that's a little outside the strike zone and convincing the umpire that it's a strike. But his framing was so bad that he gave up all the advantages that he had behind the plate. Says here, framing hasn't been such a big issue in the past. It's possible that fatigue from playing in so many games cost him with both his bat and his glove. In fact, his 1,109 innings caught in 2018 were over 70 more than the next most used catcher. So it's interesting. We talk about Albert Almora and how Joe Madden makes sure he gets in and out of the lineup, doesn't start that many games, and then we look and you see the catcher for the Cubs, Wilson Contreras, caught more 70 innings more than any other catcher. Interesting. That's got to change. And 
Contreras is a guy that the one thing Contreras does when he's on the field works his tail off. Yeah, once in a while he'll hit a ball off the wall and not hustle because he thinks it's gone. But apparently everybody does that. We're going to talk more about that with uh, Manny Machado and Ricky Renteria, how he benches guys a little bit later on. Let's grab a call, 312-332-3776. Lots to talk about. We'll get into free agency, some other things. But let's go out to Lakeview and Mike. Mike, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, uh, Fred. Uh, how you doing? Fred, I'm still, you know, we we won 95 games yep. with uh, with injured pitchers with injured Chris Bryant. We should have, you know, we should have won the damn World Series. <laughs> now this is what I, this is what I'm concerned about. We in in 39 or 40 games we scored one run or no runs. How come that happened? That we need to straighten that out. That's that. But probably you mentioned Albert Almora. Maybe he needed to stay in the you know number one position, starting off in the lineup. Something made that happen, and that shouldn't have happened. This great lineup scoring thirty nine uh, in thirty nine or forty games. One run against Milwaukee, we scored one run. Colorado, we scored one run. That shouldn't have happened. No, it Why shouldn't. Why did that happen? Is it Joe Madden? We need to straighten that out. And, and, and play Boston for the World Series this year. You know, right. and thanks, Mike. Appreciate the call. One of the things that, that got me about the Cubs slumping last year, now they're on their third hitting coach in the last three years, and a guy they known in Iapochi, and I know that other Cubs who came up in the minor leagues that had Anthony Iapochi as their hitting coach in the minors are happy that he's there. They think that, they're, that he's going to definitely help them. One of the things that they seem to do, and Theo mentioned it at the end of the season press conference, talking about launch angle, okay? Launch angle is a big thing nowadays. I mean, uh, when you look at baseball prospectus, Yonder Alonso got into launch angle, and he was one of the many, many guys. Heck, you look at DJ LeMayhew and the improved home run numbers he had a couple of years ago. He's getting into it. A lot of different people are going at it launch angle-wise, and that's fine. But when you get two strikes, you have to do what Joe Madden has been trying to preach to the, these young Cubs for the last couple of years, and that is move the ball around. There's two guys in the Cubs that move the ball around. One of them is your 38- or 39-year-old Ben Zobrist. He hits the ball where it's pitched. He takes walks. He is a baseball player. He knows what he's doing when he goes to the plate. He has a clear-cut idea, okay? And Anthony Rizzo is another guy where if the ball's pitched outside, he'll go the other way. Jason Hayward tried to do that last year, I think, and going the other way, moving the ball around. Too many of the Cubs, after two strikes, were still looking for launch angle and swinging for the fences and striking out. Okay, they struggled last year uh, offensively. The last month and a half of the season, it was awful. It was really bad. And that's why it's so weird to look at a team that won 95 games. And we're talking about their struggles late in the season. But they had a five-game lead, and they let that get away in the final month of the year. 312-332-3776. Again, I think if you Darvish comes out and can give the Cubs even half of what they thought they would get from him, then they'll be in good shape. Because I Hamels is a guy that was pitching bad in Texas. He had a couple of good starts. But when he came to the Cubs, he was unbelievable. Lights out. Now, if he can do the same thing, and you have Lester, and you have Hendricks, who I saw I saw a thing with Hendricks uh, the other day. Uh, Chris Kamka tweeted out something. I think I can find this pretty quick. Um, a number and stats on uh, Kyle Hendricks, one of the most amazing things I've seen. 
uh, in a long time for a pitcher, a, a major league pitcher. And let's see here. It was something about uh, Kyle Hendricks. I know I'll get it. There's no. It was about wild pitches. You're not going to believe this, including postseason. Here it is. Chris Kampka from NBC Sports Chicago. Great guy. Tremendous stats. Most of the time I'm quoting stats. I'm quoting him. Kyle Hendricks, including the postseason, has thrown 6,374 pitches since his last wild pitch. So I think Kyle Hendricks is going to be fine this year. You got Hamels and Lester. You hope Quintana improves a little bit. I think you're going to get from Quintana what you're going to get. You're going to get a 500 pitcher. He's going to do very, very well. He'll keep you in games. He'll give you some innings. And then you need you Darvish to step up. And Tyler Chatwood, they're still talking him up. They say he's got great stuff. But I rattled off a number yesterday, which is one of the more amazing stats that I've heard in a long time. We'll talk about that after the bottom of the hour. Want to get into some White Sox stuff so we can open some calls for uh, more White Sox fans and Cub fans. 312-332-3776. The uh, White Sox. The question I asked on uh, for the Twitter poll on the White Sox is, who needs to have the biggest improvement this season? Is it Moncada, Giolito, Lopez, or Carlos Rodon? Carlos Rodon last year, his last two starts were so bad. You say, how bad could they have possibly been, right? How bad could they have possibly been? Carlos Rodon, listen to this. July and August, he had a sub-2 ERA. His last six starts in September, his ERA was 922. His last two outings of last season, he went two innings against the Cubs and one and a third innings against Minnesota before him being pulled out. Okay? So as a White Sox fan, who do you think needs to have the biggest improvement this year? Moncada, Giolito, Lopez, or Rodon? When I talk about numbers, Chatwood and Giolito, they both led the respective leagues in the same category, the same stat. They both led it. And it's not one you want to lead your league in. We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll get to your calls at 312-332-3776. We'll open up the baseball prospectus for some White Sox notes. I don't know if they're good or bad notes. Also, we'll talk NBA All-Star Saturday just a little bit. Um, a lot of talk about free agency in the 11 o'clock hour. All of it right here on ESPN 1000.
ESPN Radio Sports Center. I'm Christine Lisi. Here's what's happening. As he continues to get treatment on his injured shoulder, Pelicans center Anthony Davis said he expects to play in the NBA All-Star Game tonight, 7.30 Eastern, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Davis, a reserve on Team LeBron, yesterday addressed questions regarding his trade request, said the Celtics are on his list and that he just wants to win. Market size does not matter. Since the trade deadline has long passed, Davis can't be dealt until this summer, making for awkward times in New Orleans, points out New York Times NBA columnist. Mark Stein. It doesn't even matter what he would have said at this point. The situation is so far gone. I mean, to me, it's just it's completely untenable there. And there's really nothing he could have said to defuse it. So instead, he took the tack of, I'm just going to be totally honest and open and say what's on my mind. Mark Stein on game night. Commissioner Adam Silver, not a fan of the string of trade requests made by high-profile NBA players over the last few years. Silver, at his annual All-Star Weekend press conference, said he doesn't like trade demands and wished those matters were handled behind closed doors. The attorney for Colin Kaepernick said during an interview on CNN, the former 49ers quarterback absolutely wants to play in the NFL, added that besides the Panthers, he wouldn't be surprised if Patriots owner Bob Kraft made a move. NHL, a couple of impressive streaks on the line when the Blues take on the Wild today. St. Louis has won nine straight, has not given up a goal in 127 minutes, 14 seconds. And Blue star Vladdy Tarasenko has a point in 11 consecutive games. Justin Thomas has the lead at the Genesis Open, and Tiger Woods making a move 7 under through 14. He is 7 off the pace. Virginia, Virginia Tech, a critical ACC showdown between bitter rivals. Tomorrow at 6.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. Presented by Peloton. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner with you. 312-332-3776 from the First Midwest Bank studio here on State Street. Be here until 12 noon. Don't forget, 1130, Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times to talk some Illinois State High School basketball and the uh, Public League Championship game later on today. Morgan Park against Curry. We'll talk about that and uh, much, much more. Also, the possibility of the tournament changing, the format moving from Peoria in a couple of years, all kinds of stuff with Michael O'Brien of the Sun-Times at 11.30. I've gone to the state tournament down in Peoria like 27 of the last 30 years. And um, I used to go to Champaign with my buddies. That's our uh, one year. Each every year we make our trip. We get down there on Thursday. This year's different because Selection Sunday doesn't happen until March 17th this year. It's a week later. So the high school tournament actually will be over because the high school tournament ends on Saturday night, the 16th. So usually we get down there on Thursday, watch games all day Thursday, then Friday go to the IHSA games between sessions, catch the NCAA games, then after the last session go watch more games. It'll be a little bit different this year, so we'll see how that all plays out. So a little bit of high school basketball. Um Talking baseball, and why not? That's what we do, especially with the Cubs and White Sox pitchers and catchers reporting. The rest of the players will be in camp. The ones that aren't already there, uh, a lot of players living in Arizona or get down there very, very early. We talked a little bit about the Cubs, and if, if in fact, um, the Cubs miss their chance to be a dynasty. Dynasties in baseball are tough, man. There's a reason no one has repeated for such a long time, okay? 
it takes a long, it takes a lot to repeat a 162 game season, no injuries with all the other teams. Well, I don't want to say all the other teams chasing you, and we'll talk more about that next hour because there are a lot of teams out there who are not chasing you. They're just trying to rebuild, and the White Sox have, are doing it now. The Cubs did it. The Astros did it. The Royals did it. It worked for a lot of them, and we'll see if it works for the White Sox on the south side. Speaking of the White Sox, as I mentioned, got picked up my baseball prospectus yesterday, came in the mail. I rattled a couple things off from the Cubs section. want to talk a little bit about a couple things I saw in the White Sox section. And first of all, with Lucas Giolito. Giolito is, oh, oh, the number, I almost forgot. The number, um, the sharing of a stat that Tyler Chatwood and Lucas Giolito, they both have the number. I mentioned it with Murph yesterday. They both led the respective league in a category that you don't really want to lead your league in. And it was walks. Okay? Lucas Giolito in the American League had a league high 90 walks in 173 and a third innings. He also had a league high 118 earned runs allowed. We'll talk about what baseball perspective says about Giolito in a second. So Giolito leads the American League in walks. So thus, Tyler Chatwood did the same. But listen to Chatwood's numbers. You think Ty- you watch Tyler Chatwood, you knew he was bad. I don't know if you knew he was this bad. I mentioned Giolito, 90 walks in 173 innings. Felix, I want to get your I want I want to see your face when I mention this one. Tyler Chatwood, he walked a league high 95, which is five more than Giolito. He did it in 70 fewer innings. 70 fewer innings. That's got to be historically. <laughs> that's got to be historically bad. Ninety-five walks in a hundred and three innings. That's horrible. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be historically that's, bad. Now I don't know uh, how we can look that up, but that's got to be. That's got. Maybe we can look at the most walks by a pitcher in a season, and then see how many innings he pitched. But it can't be. It can't be close to this. Ninety-five walks in a hundred and three innings. That's brutal. Those are the stats you don't want to lead your league in. And both the White Sox and the Cubs have the league leader in walks allowed. Giolito with 90 for the American League and uh, Chatwood with 95 for the National League. Now, we go to baseball prospectus and look at Lucas Giolito. <laughs> Giolito's 2018 was a search for a context other than total disaster. For much of a grueling first half, it was about grinding without his best stuff and without his best location and competing even when unsteady mechanics robbed him of his command. As his second half outings shaded more professional, his season drifted towards a story of growth and the merits of letting a 24-year-old former top prospect work through his struggles, learn to make quicker adjustments, and find the arm slot that allowed for the best balance between getting life on your fastball and actually putting it in the zone. Giolito's late-season success came from relying on a two-seamer, contradicting the carrying four-seamer and tumbling change-up approach that made him a success in spring training in the previous September. With how awful his 2018 season was in stretches, he just needed to show progress of any kind, which is why his disastrous close to the year was all, all that more discouraging. Starting in the majors requires consistency, and Giolito has still found precious little. Oh, my that's that's not good. That was sad. And I asked in the uh, poll, the Twitter poll, at ESPN 1000, for the White Sox fans, who needs to have the biggest improvement? Moncada, Giolito, Lopez, and Rodon. When last season started, 
people ask me, hey, as a Sox fan, as they're rebuilding, what do you need to see from your team? I said, I need, I need to see Moncada and Giolito take a step forward. Well, Moncada led baseball in strikeouts, and Giolito led, <laughs> led the American League in walks. So I guess we didn't see it. One other guy who talked about an up-and-down season was Carlos Rodon. To paraphrase one longtime baseball man, Carlos Rodon's 2018 was pretty good for someone who had their throwing shoulder cut open the previous season. When his peripheral-defying dominance ran dry all at once in September, the encouraging suffix of, and he's doing that without all of his best stuff, morphed into, wait until he gets his best stuff back. Rodon spent a lot of the 2018 season sitting in the low 90s and struggling to prove to hitters he could command both versions of his slider. The wipeout destroyer and the early count strike grabber with the old level of snap and bite. He ended his year after a disastrous outing that saw him yanked before the end of the second inning in Minnesota. Very optimistic that the next step in his recovery would be on display in 2019. His experience as being a high contact pitcher would indicate that He'll need it. Okay, I got to put the book down because as a Sox fan, those are two of the five starters for the White Sox, Giolito and Rodon. They both need such huge improvement, okay? They need to find consistency. Now, the one thing I try to explain to people, and it comes up during the football season, you're saying, football, really? How are you going to compare football to baseball? Well, I'm going to compare positions, okay? I'm going to compare pitchers. To quarterbacks. When pitchers come up through the minor leagues, it takes a little while to learn how to pitch in the big leagues. Okay? You can have great stuff, but not many pitchers at 20, 21, 22 become dominant pitchers. Okay? It takes a little while. And you look, and Giolito and Rodon are still young guys. And if they can figure it out at 26, 27, 28, whatever, you can still pitch for a while in this league. That's why when we talk next hour about baseball and free agency, I don't feel that position players deserve 10-year contracts into their age 36, which is exactly what Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are looking for. Now, all the pitchers seem to be chirping up. The 35, 36, 37-year-old pitchers, Justin Verlander, uh, Max Scherzer, all these pitchers are chiming in. Why aren't people signing position players to 10-year deals? Well, there's a reason. Because a lot of position players can't play into their 34, 35, 36 years. And why should teams suffer paying huge, outrageous money to these guys? We'll talk more about that in the top of the hour. But as I mentioned, Giolito, Rodon, Ronaldo Lopez, these are all young pitchers. Then the White Sox have Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, They have guys that are out there. The fifth starter this year, Manny Benuelos, a guy that was with the Dodgers. And also they have Dylan Covey, a guy who looked really good for the White Sox until games he looked really, really bad. He had the same inconsistency that Giolito and Rodon had. Ronaldo Lopez pitched better for the White Sox. So as a Sox fan, you can call me and let me know what you think. Who do you think needs to have the biggest improvement this season? And how excited are you? Are you waiting more for the development of... Juan Moncada, or the arrival of Eloy Jimenez, okay? Jimenez is a guy which has been so amazing. He's down there. Pitchers and catchers reported he's down in camp. He's talking to, uh, doing interviews in English with his interpreter right there in case he's stuck for something. 
But I saw something earlier this week, which I thought was very, very cool to see. And here you have Eloy Jimenez, uh, a guy that most people think he's one of the top two, three, four prospects in all of baseball. He's a guy the White Sox are likely going to hold out until they get an extra year of service time, which I don't agree with. I understand why they do it. I don't agree with it. I didn't agree with it with Chris Bryant, and everybody told me I'm an idiot because then the Cubs could have Bryant for their seventh year. I understand. But I would think, and if it wasn't for Scott Boris, me and your, your agent, that a lot of teams, especially with pitchers, but a lot of teams try to sign their guys to longer deals before their sixth and seventh years and before they become free agents. This way they can keep them at team-friendly contracts. And I kind of think, okay, you're going to give Chris Bryant a better deal anyway. Well, Bryant's a Boris client. That's not going to happen. Okay, I understand that. But when I saw Eloy Jimenez earlier this week working in the batting cage off the tee, instructing Luis Basabi how to move the tee, hit the inside pitch, move the tee up and down, and do things. I'm saying, here's a 22-year-old guy that hasn't even taken a pitch in Major League Baseball, and he's already helping the younger guys. That's what I think this White Sox team has. This White Sox team has a camaraderie. For a team that lost 100 games last year, they were a pretty together team. Usually you see a team that loses 100 games, and they're... You know, they're disheveled. They got old veterans. They got, this was a young team that was trying to figure things out. They figured out Daniel Polka could hit. He lost 18 pounds. He wants to play the outfield now a little bit more. So I think this White Sox team is going to be fun to watch. When Eloy Jimenez comes up, it's going to be a lot of fun. Their pitching staff has to improve. They have to find some consistency. Don Cooper, there's a lot of, a lot on him. And I know people right now are saying, well, I thought you didn't like coaches. No, pitching coaches are important. I say managers aren't all that important. We'll talk about that next hour because I saw something on MLB Network about a manager who right now is a world championship ring. And they did a special on the MLB Network about Alex Cora. We'll talk about some things I saw um, next hour, some things I saw with Alex Cora that were tremendous. If you have a chance, check it out on the MLB Network. I'm sure they'll rerun it. Alex Cora, the making of a champion. Some great, great stuff. I want you see with sabermetrics and analytics and the stats and the numbers and everything that are making teams better. Stuff that managers get their players to buy in. And it's a great, great story. We'll talk about it next hour. We come back in case you missed it yesterday. We'll talk quickly about, uh, what happened down in Charlotte. They've got the NBA All-Star game tonight. We've got it for you later on tonight right here on ESPN 1000.
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 o'clock. Talk a lot of baseball. We'll get to a lot more baseball and free agent talk uh, after the top of the hour. And then Michael O'Brien of the Sun-Times will join me. We'll talk about the IHSA considering major format changes to the state tournament and also the Public League final later on today. Morgan Park against Curry at uh, 4.30. Last night, All-Star Saturday night. And uh, we've got the All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game right here. Our coverage beginning at 6.30 tonight here on ESPN 1000. Jason Tatum won the skills competition. I got to admit, I didn't watch that. Uh, Oklahoma City's Hamadou Diallo won the slam dunk contest. I got to admit, I tried to watch that. It was too tough. One guy's to start bringing model planes and the Tuskegee Airmen uh, out there, and he's jumping over a plane. Uh, I had a hard time watching that. But... I did watch start to finish the three point shooting contest, and it's the best one of the. It might be, it, I think it's better than home run derby. I think the three point shooting contest is the best contest uh, at an all star game in in sports. Okay, some of the uh, some of the skill stuff they do in the NFL the day before the Pro Bowl is pretty good, but I really like that. Uh, Brooklyn's Joe Harris holds off Steph Curry. Uh, Harris made twelve consecutive shots at one point in the final round. Uh, on his way to 26 points, he beats Curry, who missed a jump, the last shot, uh, which would have given him a, a tie. Curry and his brother Seth, who had 16 points, made a wager that whoever loses must buy tickets for the entire Curry family anytime they play against each other for the remainder of the NBA careers. Um, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun to watch. It, was, it The very cool thing was having Seth Curry and Steph Curry out there, and then his their dad, Del Curry, was out there and um, beforehand, and Allie LaForce was talking to them, and he brought some guys. They wanted to see Del Curry shoot, so what did they do? He brought some of his former teammates, uh, Glenn Rice and Mark Price, uh, out there. Very, very cool stuff, I thought. Uh, they couldn't shoot very well. Uh, also, Ray Allen, which you would think would have shot better. He performed better in the celebrity game, but he his three-pointer was off yesterday. But I thought it was very, very cool. And that I'm just trying to figure out exactly what demo they're trying to appeal to for the slam dunk contest. I, I Obviously, it's not my demo. Uh, maybe the 20 to 30-somethings, maybe. Um, but I thought some of the jumping over people and jumping over planes and jumping over other things got a little crazy. And it all started, I think, with Blake Griffin and jumping over the car uh, when that was out there. But, uh, yeah, I didn't watch that. But, again, the All-Star game tonight, there'll be a lot of points scored. And uh, we've got it for you right here tonight on ESPN 1000.
ESPN 1000. Live from the first Midwest Bank Studios on State Street, WMVP Chicago. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you for the next hour. Talking a lot of baseball. We also have Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times talking some high school hoops. At the bottom of the hour, 1130. Numbers 312-332-3776. We're at the uh, first Midwest Bank studio here on State Street. Uh, yeah, a little wet out. The snow kind of lighting up here and there. Not expected to get too, too much throughout the course of the day. Uh, just be careful out there when you're driving, especially if you're driving around me. Just be careful, okay? You know, when, when I first started driving, they talk about being a defensive driver and always know where everybody is. And, you know, you do that when you're walking the streets, too, especially, you know, if you're, you're going certain places you don't know, you always head on a swivel. Same thing when you're driving, okay? Head on a swivel. I'm driving in this morning. I couldn't believe some of the people flying by me. Got in the middle lane. I was comfortable, relaxed. Everything was great. Uh, in, in the words of uh, Hawk Harrelson, sit back, relax, and strap it down. I got a lot of baseball stuff for you. You want to jump in? That's great. You want to listen? That's great. I got a bunch of things about free agency. Now, I posted the other day. I'm going to just read it the way I posted it. I, I should probably come up with these things before I mention them. Uh, because then when I mention them, then I got to go and find them. And it's not always that easy, okay? Um, because I do post a lot of stupid stuff. I didn't post anything yesterday about the, uh, uh, you know, Alliance of American Football. I didn't post anything there. But, uh, yeah, every once in a while I post some stuff. And I basically said that neither Manny Machado or Bryce Harper deserve 10-year deals. And that was actually in response to a friend of mine, Herb, who's a Sox fan, and said, listen, if one of these guys wants more money, the owners, you know, the Sox have money, pay it to them. My thing is, the money's not a problem. Of course, the money's not a problem for me. Uh, it's not my money. But I think the years is what the biggest problem is. And there are Major League Baseball players that are stepping up. Heck, Adam Wainwright, I want to say, said, you know, if things don't change, the possibility of a strike, there's a 100% possibility of a strike. Well, that's certainly not the way to get things done, is it? Uh, he said that just the other day. He did a big, long thing on Twitter yesterday uh, where he posted all these different things he was talking about and different things he thinks about. And, and I'm saying, well, this is, you know, this is not going to be good. The last thing you want, you can't be having. Here's what he said. Unless something changes, there's going to be a strike 100%. He said that Friday, Adam Wainwright. Who's, who's, who's lucky he's even pitching anymore, okay? But, you know, he's looking out for his fellow men, which is great. There was a great couple of great articles in the Sun-Times today. And again, if you don't read the paper or buy the paper, that's fine. You can get it, most of it online. The first one I saw that grabbed my attention, and this is where you don't, you know, you don't see this uh, if you're just looking online. Things don't grab your attention like this. But the Sun-Times did a thing called Free Agent Watch. And it's basically a pie chart 
And it says, a look at the 104 MLB free agents who have signed this offseason through Friday. I said, well, this is interesting. This is something I might be able to use. In the words of, uh, if you watch uh, if you watch Entourage, this might be something you could be interested in. Um, Longer-term deals. Of the 104 free agents, one player has signed a six-year deal. That was Patrick Corbin. $140 million, six years with the Nationals. Two players signed four-year deals. Nathan Eovaldi, who was amazing. And again, if you watch the uh, Alex Cora making him a champion, what they did to him going, uh, what he did in the World Series last year was amazing. He gets four years, $68 million. A.J. Pollock, four years, $55 million. Seven players signed three-year deals. Zach Britton to the Yankees. Adam Adovino with the Yankees. Lance Lynn, three years with the Rangers. Dodgers signed Joe Kelly for three. Dodgers re-signed Clayton Kershaw for three. Three at 93. It's pretty easy to figure out. 31 million a year. The Mets signed uh, Jairus Familia, 30 million. And the Phillies signed uh, Andrew McCutcheon. Um, three years, 50 million. Nice deal for McCutcheon. 72% of Major League free agents signed minor league deals or one-year contracts. Okay, 19 players signed two-year deals. And uh, nine of the MLB free agents have signed contracts for three years or more. Just nine of them. Okay, it's pretty interesting. And Brad Brock is a guy. Brad Brock is a guy that I thought signed with the Cubs weeks ago. And we had Jesse out about a week ago, and Jesse said, you know what? Just so you know, Brad Brock is not a member of the Cubs yet. He has not signed his deal yet. So today in the Sun-Times, on the other page, after the free agent watch and the pie chart and everything else, Gordon Whitmire did an article that says, Algorithm and Blues for Players. Brock's story hints at possible new euphemism for collusion. Brad Brock says, and Brad Brock, the right-hander, signs a one-year deal with the Cubs, uh, said six or seven teams were making the same offers. Said, teams say they like you, but they're not making offers, Brock said, who eventually signed a one-year $4.35 million deal last month. Then you finally get offers, and six or seven teams are giving you the same offer. It's just kind of weird, the process, and nobody really knows what's going on right now. Except that Brock asked some of the teams about the identical offers and similar timings. Listen to what they said. They all told us that we have an algorithm and here's where you fall on the scale. Gordon Wittenmeyer says, is algorithm the new word for collusion? Brock says, I don't know. You guys can make of it what you want. It's just kind of weird that all the offers are the same, and they come around the same time, and everybody tells you there's an algorithm, but you figure teams would have different ones. That's what happens when all of the GMs, and I'm not saying all the GMs, but we've talked about this a while ago. All the numbers are out there. Everybody's got them. They all know that's why that's why Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are still out there. People are making similar offers, and nobody wants to go to ten years now. Maybe somebody will eventually. I understand the Nationals did with Harper. It was very important, I think, for the Nationals to try to keep Bryce Harper for the fans of Washington and everything else. Okay, last month Chris Bryant said players around the league were getting upset. And the system had to change. Dodgers closer, Kenley Jansen, raised the prospect of a strike more than a year ago. Now, this would not be a good thing. John Lester said, it's a weird time that we're in. 
It's kind of a sad time that we're in. So Major League Baseball is in a situation now, and I know that Chris and Adam talked about it a little bit earlier today, that maybe it should change. Maybe, you know, Baseball fans are waiting for these kind of things. Teams are making money. I understand that. Uh, some of the numbers uh, from a Deadspin article recently about how the numbers have changed and how the teams are making so much more money, and the numbers haven't gone up when you look at uh, luxury tax and how much money they spend. Here's some of the numbers. The luxury tax ceiling in 2003 was $117 million, and Major League revenues were $3.58 billion. This coming year, the luxury tax ceiling is $206 million. That's an increase of 68%. <laughs> MLB revenues are $10.3 billion. That's an increase of 188%. Now, if I'm an owner of an organization, a franchise, a store, whatever, my goal is to make money. All these baseball teams are making money. There's no doubt about it. Okay? Some people say minimum salaries might be a way to help this. The minimum salary in 2003 was $300,000. The minimum salary... 15 years later in 2018 was 545. It didn't even double, but the increase in revenue went up more than 82%. So things are a little bit out of, out of control. And I know, I understand the players. Here's my thing. And I know that I'm going to read some of these things. Justin Verlander's chirping up a lot. So is Max Scherzer. This is an article also from the Sun Times today. Paul Newberry. Associated Press, the Sun-Times picked it up. It says, money will bring peace. MLB labor standoff will be averted because too many dollars are at stake. And Justin Verlander said, system's broken. You're telling me you couldn't sign Bryce or Manny for 10 years and go from there? Okay, that's not the point. The teams out there could. But did you know that Miguel Cabrera, who got a long-term deal a couple years back, Miguel Cabrera is making $162 million over the next six years. Miguel Cabrera is almost done. He can barely walk. Now, if he puts up some numbers this year, that's great. He's not going to do it for six more years, okay? Now, you would think sometimes with DHs, maybe in the American League, you can hang around a little bit longer. But in my opinion, and I agree or disagree, 312-332-3776, I understand paying pitchers into their mid-30s. I do not agree with or understand having a contract for players who are going to be into their mid-30s. I don't care if Harper or Machado are 26. Now, people were saying, oh, you're just being an, a stooge for the owners. No, I'm not. I'm just making common sense, and I'm just saying, stating facts. I think my opinion, in my opinion, facts in my opinion, is that pitchers can pitch well into their 30s. And now, Major League Baseball has shown that the decline in position players, once they get to their 30s, is steep. There's no reason for teams out there to give Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, who who are not the best players in baseball. Let's look at it that way, okay? They're not the best players in baseball. They're the best players available right now. But there's no reason to give them 10-year deals. I had no problem giving, giving Manny Machado, if it was my money, 31 or 32 mil a year for six or seven years. That's fine. But I'm not going 10 years with you. I know people say it's only three years short. Yeah, that's three more years I've given 30 million. That's not happening. Okay, more of what this article said from Paul Newberry. Verlander and the national star Max 
Scherzer complained that the game is hurt by the constant merry-go-round of teams that essentially throw in the towel for several seasons, committing to rebuilding projects centered on younger, cheaper players. They feel that's a big reason so many useful players are still unemployed. They also believe it's cutting into a fan base already bleeding young followers. From Scherzer, quote, if you're constantly just going into a win-loss cycle that MLB is pushing, you create bandwagon fans. That's not the type of fans that you want to create. One of the things that I think a lot of the fans are demanding is they want you to become good. Not a lot of Cub fans were complaining about five years of finishing last when the Cubs won the World Series. Nick Friedel wasn't one of them. Nick Friedel didn't like paying for his season tickets knowing the Cubs were not trying to put a winning product out there. But what the Cubs also realized was that trying to improve your team patchwork isn't always the best and easiest way to do it. So by tanking and getting high draft picks and good first-round draft picks, the Cubs were able to get guys like Chris Bryant, okay? And it helped. And you're able to do those kind of things and get a Kyle Schwarber and get an Albert Almora and then get an Ian Happ. You're able to do those kind of things. So it's a different style that teams are trying to improve themselves. And they're doing it in the NBA, too. They're tanking and everything else. Here you go. Most notably, attendance dipped last season to its lowest level in Major League Baseball since 2003. One team after another has stripped away any pretense of competitiveness to build through the draft and player development. Undoubtedly, and that's one of my, one of my, uh, what's up, Fred's cans, when people say undoubtedly, they put a B in there. There's no B in there except for, you know, halfway through. It's not undoubtedly. Uh, anyway, undoubtedly, trying to mimic the formula that worked for Houston, which won the franchise their first World Series in 2017. It obviously also worked for the Cubs in 2016. While the Astros were certainly a feel-good story, baseball can't afford to have so many teams going down that long-term path, which, of course, might not even pay off in the end. The Players Union is right to push proposals that would impose draft penalties on teams for tanking year after year or perhaps set up an NBA-style draft lottery. I'll get to that in a second. Paul goes on and says, Once the serious negotiating begins, there are sure to be more harsh words from both sides. You might even hear collusion tossed around. Not to worry, Paul says. In the end, it will all work out. So he's not worried about it. He just thinks there's too much money out there. They'll come to some kind of agreement. Unfortunately for baseball, they came to an agreement. Now they're stuck with this. Okay, this is the agreement they're stuck with. And they're in a situation where things aren't working the way they want. They want longer-term deals. And again, I'll say it a million times. I agree that pitchers can deserve longer-term deals, um, but not some of these position players. And everyone's saying, well, can't you use a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado? Sure you could for five or six years or seven years. Maybe eight? I'm not giving a guy a 10-year deal. I know it sounds silly. It's just two more years. But by 10, he's 36. Look what they're paying. You know, the Angels have been paying Albert Pujols. That was a bad deal when it was signed. He got his deal when he was, boy, he was old when he got his deal. And now we'll see. And like I said, the, the Miguel Cabrera stuff, and I saw it on the MLB Network earlier this week. That's just amazing to me how a guy can get paid that kind of money. And I understand he was really good. 
but he's got six years left. His last year is $30 million uh, team option, but there's an $8 million buyout, so you throw that in with the rest of the money. It's $162 million he'll be making. He's guaranteed 162 for the next six years. That's crazy money for a guy that's, you ain't winning anything in Detroit. You had your chance, you're not winning anything now, and you got to pay this guy all this money. It's going to be tougher to go on out, pick up players. They're going to have to build with younger players and things like that. So that makes it really, really difficult. So if you get a chance, we got the Sun-Times, you can go track it down online. Check out the articles from uh, Gordon Wittenmeyer today, and also check out the article from Paul Newberry, the Associated Press, Money Will Bring Peace. Okay, 312-332-3776. That's not all. I said sit back, relax, and strap it down. I got a bunch of stuff for you. There was something I heard the other day which really got me sick. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be nauseating if it did. This from New York. Why Jake and DeGrom's innings limit threat to the Mets is nothing like Matt Harvey's. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the other day... Jacob DeGrom sat down, left the door open to the notion that he'd consider limiting his innings in 2019 if he isn't getting given a contract extension that he wants. <laughs> DeGrom, following the negotiating strategy that Matt Harvey used, outlined by his agents in an attempt to create the only leverage he has at the moment. You remember Matt Harvey suddenly uh, springing the idea of shutting himself down in the heat of a September pennant race, which after bringing it up, it, it didn't happen. Uh, the Mets ace, Jacob DeGrom, didn't appear comfortable with the idea, hemming and hawing at his press conference as he said he'd have to consider whatever his agents thought was best for him. Boy, oh boy, when you have a contract, and this goes into the NBA thing too, when you have a contract, it's really frustrating when you say, well, you know what? If I'm not getting an extension, even though I've got a deal for a year or two more, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to risk getting hurt. So I'm not going to go all those extra innings. Now, you look at Jacob DeGrom's numbers, and DeGrom has awesome numbers and one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Um, but his agents are saying, well, you know what? If you put up numbers like that, you may get hurt. You may not be getting that long-term deal that you're looking for. DeGrom last year. An ERA of 170, 217 innings. There weren't many pitchers in baseball that hit the 200 innings last year. I know that uh, a couple of uh, the Cubs were just shy of it, uh, wanted to get close. And uh, I know two years ago, you saw John Lester said he'd like to get back to the 200 innings level. Well, teams don't want that. Usually agents don't want that. They want you to be a little under that so you can be around a little bit longer for new deals. 312-332-3776. Going out to Ravenswood and John, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's up? Hey, uh, I just had a, a kind of a maybe a, a solution for all this stuff. Why do the owners not pay the players based on uh, statistics, like a salary-based contract, like if a player hits 300, they get this kind of money. And if they don't, they get that kind of money. Is is that too like simple for the league or for the owners? 
in their structure. It would just make things, I think, a lot easier. You know, years ago, I kind of thought that, too. And then, you know, certain guys would say, well, if I'm getting paid for home runs, I'm swinging for the fences. I'm not worried about moving the runner along. And it would take away some of the, you know, team. even though baseball is an individual sport, you know, pitcher against catcher, it's still, you still need to move the runner along, you know, do other things, uh, drive the ball in the gap and drive guy in from the, from second base and things like that. And they, they don't want people to just to be out there, uh, trying to be selfish, basically worrying more about them, their own numbers than they are the team's numbers. I understand what you're saying. What, what they do, you know, what these players are thinking about, think about it. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were saying, listen, we're only 26. We want to get a 10 year deal for what we've done already. Not for what we're going to do, and that's where the whole that's where the whole long term deal comes in. Which I think, you right. know, if, uh, if I was, some people said everybody should just sign one year deals. And then the I end agree of, with that, yeah. Fred. That's how you and I are paid. I mean, yeah. they, that why should they have that built in advantage? And that would lower ticket prices. It probably and would. It, yeah, and then it would have other benefits. I just think it's a good idea. Yeah. And, you know, John, you bring up some great points. I just, and I understand, um, you know, maybe, maybe the guy that leads the league, incentive based contracts are, are, are great. And I think sometimes that, you know, they'll pay them a base salary and then they get incentives. Like if you make the All Stars, you win the Cy Young, you get kind of benefits like that where it's not going to be all based on, uh, your entire contract's not going to be based on what you do individually. Uh, but there, again, I know a lot of people are complaining about this. Rick Hahn said at SoxFest, he said it would be great to have one of these guys under contract and agreed to uh, agreed upon now. But if one of them signs in um, April and then they hit a big home run to help the team win in June, I'm not going to, you know, Hahn was saying, I'm not, it's not going to bother me that he didn't sign till late. And I don't think it would bother any White Sox fans either. The White Sox want to get Manny Machado. I think for a couple of years, Manny Machado's been the guy that's been on the mind of a lot of White Sox fans and also a lot of um, a lot of people out there, a, a name that would fit in with this team the way they were rebuilding. We got some uh, high school basketball talk in a second, but really quickly, I wanted to bring up Ricky Renteria's hardline stance on hustling could be under a microscope if Machado signs with the White Sox. Paul Sullivan on the White Sox today in the Tribune. Ricky Renteria says, it's always been the game. Being a former player, obviously understanding it on this side of it. Now, as a coach, it's always going to be about the players. The question is, how difficult is it to manage that idea of always hustling? Because it is an idea. Some people might even say it's idealistic in today's world to expect the player to give you a solid effort when they're out there playing. They're professionals. Renteria goes on to say, I think it's really easy for me to be honest, to fall back and say, listen, you're a major league ball player. You're compensated very well. Effort shouldn't be a question. We even consider talking about it. It should be a given. If it's not a given, then you try to convince people of why it should be a given, which is part of my job. And make sure they understand it's not about a manager lording over his position over the players. It's their game. And earlier this week on the MLB Network, Alex Bregman, young player, third baseman, Houston Astros, was talking to a bunch of kids. And one of the things he said, he said there were three things you needed to always go out to do, but always be aggressive. He said, run on and off the field. You hit the ball, run hard out of the box, run hard to first base. That's the one or two things you know you can do as a player. 
because those are the easy things to do. Always hustle. And um, that's something that Bregman said to these young kids. Real quickly, I got I got a minute. Let's grab this call real quick out in Tinley Park. James, what's up? How are you doing, Fred? Um, so I just want to, a few minutes ago, you said uh, two quick things. You said you wouldn't. Uh, give Harper Machado a ten-year deal. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you a lot, but I'm going to disagree with you on that one simply because the examples you said of Pujols, Cabrera, and a few other players, and I know you reiterated it earlier. Those are players into their 30s. If 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 you give Harper Machado a ten-year deal and you get seven, maybe even eight, but if you get seven years out of that deal, that's a good deal. You look at A Rod back in 2000 or 2001 when he went to Texas. A Rod did amazing. The problem was, I think, was the Rangers realized they couldn't afford it, so they had to ship him out. But A-Rod did amazing uh, – he produced amazingly. And then another thing, you said you would uh, rather pay pitchers into their 30s. Yeah. Um, I, 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 Again, I disagree with you with that. I think paying a pitcher into their 30s is one of the riskiest moves there is. Uh, I don't think the Patrick Corbin deal was good by any means. I think they overpaid for him. Um, I mean, you, you can look at something like you Darvish, all the mileage on his arm. And now the Cubs don't even know what they're getting out of him, and they still owe him $120 million or so. Well, but there's um, always there's always going to be outliers in that, John. I appreciate, James, I appreciate the call. Uh, Miguel Cabrera's got six years left. He's 35 now, okay? Um, that was a bad move. Five, you know, there's no guarantee. And see, I don't think Bryce Harper's going to bring a winner to a team anyway. I know that uh, Carmen was talking about it the other day, how many times the Nationals have gotten to the playoffs since uh, Bryce Harper went there. I couldn't disagree with him because I wasn't here and I was driving around, but it's not like the Nationals only had Bryce Harper, okay? They had a ton of pitchers. They had a bunch of other really, really good players. That's why they made the playoffs, not just because of Bryce Harper. We're going to switch around a little bit. There is a public league championship being played today, and we're going to talk about that and about the IHSA State Tournament. Michael O'Brien, the Sun-Times, joins us. We come back. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till the top of the hour. I'm a big high school basketball fan. Now, I used to go to a lot more games uh, the last couple of years, or before the last couple of years. The last couple of years have been a little, been slacking off. But I have been downstate a couple last couple of years. I haven't had a chance to see uh, Morgan Park win. And I've had a chance to see Curry win. And now, guess what? They play each other in the uh, Chicago Public League Championship later on today. Talk more about that and the state tournament and some ways they may be changing things. We bring in Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times. Michael, how are you today? Doing great, Fred. You know, uh, I'm looking here, and we some other day we we could argue about Morgan Park being in 3A and or being in two and Curry being in four. But anyway, that's that's a topic for another another time. Yeah, <laughs> because that gets even more confusing. Um, but let's we'll talk about the, the today's game. That's a four thirty start for Morgan Park and Curry. But you had a good good piece the other day. You asked people on Twitter and on um, people were all jumping with all kinds of different responses. IHSA considering major format change to the state basketball tournament. Why exactly are they thinking about changing this up? a little bit because things have gone really stale in peoria attendance has been declining i think for the last five years or so maybe even longer 
and it, it's just really clear when you're there that it, it isn't working. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One reason is they just have they have faced the fact finally that the NCAA tournament, as everybody knows, is a basketball monster, mm-hmm. and having your premier event during that tournament, it'd be like having a football game on Super Bowl Sunday. It's just stupid. And this new format where they have it a week earlier and do it three days instead of two weekends of two days each would would guarantee that they're always finished before the NCAA tournament starts, which I think is key. Did, did part of this happen uh, because they went from two to four classes? Yeah, I think that was a large part of it. The two to four classes is a problem. But also, you know, if you think back that many years ago, the NCAA tournament is so much more popular because you can watch all the games now. Right. Which wasn't, which wasn't true back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. You had to just watch the one that was on or the two that were on TV. So, so that has changed a lot. And Peoria has never really recovered from the recession. Mm-hmm. It really killed downtown Peoria. And so it's just a lot less attractive of a destination now, too. Well, they moved Big Al's closer to the stadium. I, that, 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 didn't <laughs> yeah. appear, that didn't appear to help at all. Um, you, you look at it, and I've, I used to go to Champaign, too, and I thought Champaign was a fun time when they had the two classes. I remember seeing, you know, uh, heck, Kevin Garnett putting up his first three of the entire season as a miss as uh, his team didn't go any further, and uh, you know, seeing uh, Tommy Kleinschmidt and a bunch of other guys uh, over the years, is there a chance you think that if you know if it's not working in Peoria, this is when would they th- consider changing this thing? It would be in 2021 is when this would happen. Okay, in, af- after 2020, they're going to accept bids for from other towns. You know, Peoria will bid again. Champaign has already said they're going to bid. It's likely the Sears Center here in Hoffman Estate bids for it. And so they need a, to pick a town. And I think by then they will already have decided on the format. Right now they're just asking people about it. They're asking their members what they think. So we'll probably know about the format change before we know where it's going to be held. Okay. The NCAA uh, finally, years ago, got rid of third-place games. In the format that you posted here, they still have third-place games. Why, in God's name, would they continue with the third-place game? Uh, I think just to ruin my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's really silly. Yeah, it's a nightmare. And right now, you know, it breaks up the title games in the current format. You know, there's a third-place game in between the third and fourth. Three class three and four a title game. It's a mess. I don't know. They say that the coaches are in favor of them. You know, coaches love consolation games and all that stuff. I don't think the fans like it at all. I know. I've talked to plenty of players over the years about third place and consolation games, and they all can't stand them. So, yeah. yeah, it needs to go. Well, and the one it did make sense in years past when you know when I used to love the tournament, even though it was a little bit hard on the players when they would have. Uh, eight teams playing quarterfinal games on Friday, and then the two, the the four winners uh, would play on Saturday morning, and then you would play the championship game and the third place game at night. That made sense because they were there already. Okay, you see, but that that was almost worse for the kids though because the team would lose. Yeah, their semifinal, and then two hours later, they're back on the floor. <laughs> 
Yeah, and they, they really didn't care at that point. That was, yeah. those teams, it was the same day. So you didn't have any chance to get your mind wrapped around it again. It was tough. Well, and the way so, yeah, that. I'm, I'm all anti third. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am too, definitely, without a doubt. Um, the, the way it's laid out here with the, with all four classes, the way you posted it, you had Thursday, the afternoon session, the 1A, uh, semifinals. The night would be the 2A semifinals. Friday would be the third place games for the 1A and 2A. And then the 3A semifinals in the afternoon. So there's three sessions on Friday. Uh, and then what, two and a half or three sessions on Saturday. Um, it, it would be a little more confusing, especially in my opinion, if they moved it up to Chicago, because then you're going into a, a building like the Sears Center. This is one of the reasons I thought that Champaign or Peoria worked better. You could leave there, go to a place, a bar, whatever, within walking distance. You're at the Sears Center. You walk out of the parking lot. What are you going to do? And, you know, you got yeah, You're going to yeah, leave and then do something else. I think if they do have this new format, I think Thursday and Friday attendance will continue to be dismal. Uh-huh. But I think Saturday, with four title games, becomes a destination. There's no need to stay in a hotel, which I think people just aren't into coming down anymore, you know, with a family and spending two or three nights in a hotel. Right. You know, things are tighter for people. They're busier. It's just not, it's not the 90s anymore. And I think it's time that the IHSA understands that. And you have a beautiful one-day event with four title games in a row that people can come watch, and I think that could be really exciting. Yeah, uh, Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times joining us here on ESPN 1000. Me and my buddies, we look forward to spending Thursday, Friday, Saturday yeah. down in Peoria because Lord knows what else we have to do. But the, the, the one thing about that is, you know, this year, the NCAA tournament got pushed back. So actually this year, the, uh, the IHSA 3A and 4A is going to be during the conference tournament finals and not the other one. So, well, do you think that will improve the attendance at all? You know, that happens every five or six years. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens. You know, this is not a great year. We'll see what, who advances to state. A lot of it depends on that, you know, just frankly on which teams are there. But, yeah, I'm very interested to kind of keep an eye on that and watch. It it has to help. There's no way it's going to hurt. Well, I remember years ago, I mean, uh, you know, Sonny Cox used to load the buses up uh, outside of King and bring busloads of fans because a lot of them, you know, if a public league school goes, they don't travel as well as some of the, you know, suburban schools. And he used to load buses up. We used to, heck, my buddy went over to the Westinghouse area one time. He just got a Westinghouse hat and a shirt because they were passing them all out because they brought a bunch of people down. That was cool, but it doesn't seem like it happens as much anymore, especially if you've got two or three public league teams downstate. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge for them. Morgan Park kids, I wrote a story once, would have to spend a total of 16 hours on a bus to watch if they played on the Friday and the Saturday. Right. Because the the they, they don't stay overnight. So, I mean, no one would do it. Yeah. <laughs> the city kids, or, you know, the, the school can't afford it. it it's just, yeah, it, it's really tough. And we've seen lately, though, even some of the Central Illinois teams that are there aren't bringing big groups of fans, which is the real yeah. Underman problem. Yeah, people always ask us, they go, where do you get your tickets? I said, we just, we get in the building, we sit as high as we can so nobody bothers us because there's plenty of room to spread around and you can just move from section to section. Um, so the state tournament will be interesting. I know a lot of people that love the sport of high school basketball uh, would love to see it in Chicago. I just don't think that makes sense. Uh, I know a lot of the, you, you guys probably would love it um, because it's a lot closer, but it would just be a little more difficult as I think as we 
you brought up when you're having different sessions and all that stuff. I know they've done it for the uh, NCAA when they did it over at the uh, United Center, and that, that was workable because there are enough places you can walk down Madison and go to a restaurant or two and then come back and leave your car parked there. But I think the Sears Center would be a little bit of a different story. Yeah, I have a gut feeling. This is based on, you know, no sources or yeah. reporting. My gut tells me that in 2021, we are in the one-weekend format that they've proposed, and we're in Champagne. Okay. And it gives everything a real shot in the arm. It just seems to make sense. Yeah. And I also think, you know, this as everything else in the world, it comes down to money. Sure. And the central Illinois towns pay. They just give a lump sum to the IHSA in that bid. That's something that the Sears Center in Chicago has not done. And I think that Peoria's lump sum money might be in some trouble now that Caterpillar, you know, has really kind of abandoned the town. Right. Uh, today, the uh, Public League Championship game, Morgan Park against Curry. And I'm looking here, uh, two teams that are pretty hot. Uh, Morgan Park, 22 straight wins. Curry's never has not lost in the state, from what I understand. The one game they lost was out of state. Uh, how do you see this game coming as uh, a 4.30 tip? You know, they played in December, December okay. 11th, and Curie won 94-62. to It was a complete butt-whooping that nobody saw coming. Um, Curie is pretty much the same team that they were then. They've been the same team all year. You know, they basically have a really strong core of five guys. Dejuan Gordon, Kansas State recruit. They're unselfish. They hustle. They're everything you want to see, you know, in a high school basketball team. They really move the ball well, play hard. Morgan Park is a totally different team since that game. You know, they've gone on to win the 22 in a row. They have Adam Miller, who is as close to a superstar as we currently have in the Chicago high school basketball team. He's a junior. He's top 20 in the country. He scored 30 in the semifinal. And and what's changed with them is their bigs have grown up. Uh, Carl Jones, Kyle Grover, DeShondre Washington, the kind of program guys. And they have really became you know, valuable contributors, and they're going to have a supreme size advantage over Curie. So if, if they can utilize that, if Adam Miller is hot, I kind of feel like Curie's the best team we have in the area, but Morgan Park is playing the best right now. Okay, what is it that Morgan Park's done? They've won the 3A championship for the last six years. Is it the, the, their coaching, the, yeah. the, the players? How does this all work out? I mean, they had some great players. You know, Ayodo Sumu. You know, who's at Illinois, Charlie Moore, who's at Kansas, Marcus Levette Jr., who's a pro now over in Europe. Nick Irvin knows how to get the most out of his kids, that's for sure. You know, they do get some key transfers every year, but, I mean, truthfully, 3A, Class 3A is just really weird and really weak. Yeah. And it's it's just a strange grouping. You know, two years ago in the Super Sectionals, which is like the last eight teams, we had like four or five teams with under 500 records. So... It's strange. Yeah. yeah he need, they need to move up. I asked Nick Irvin about that in the press conference last year when he was proclaiming them to be the best team in the state. And I said, well, are you going to move up to 4A and prove it? Because they can if they want. Right. And he doesn't seem to have any interest in doing that. Yeah, I, I I thought when it went from uh, from two to four was a bad thing uh, because the two was truly the small schools and the and the and the four was everybody else and uh, you know I, we enjoyed the, or the the one and the two we enjoyed that yeah. so much more than when you split it up and all that stuff and uh, you know we'll, we'll see again how many how many teams from the public league do you see getting downstate this year? I think they're going to win two A, three A, and four A. Okay. Um, or is really good in their class 2A again. You know, they won it last year. I wouldn't be surprised if Morgan Park won 3A again. Curie or Young could win 4A. And then the wrinkle this year, we have an excellent 
Class 1A team in the city. It's not public league. It's in the Catholic League, but Providence St. Mel. Okay. Tiny school with like 125 kids on the west side is probably the best team in 1A. So Chicago could win all four classes this year. That would be very interesting. I remember back in the day, the biggest thing was uh, the only the public league champion used to go, yeah. right? And, and now now yeah. it's completely turned around and changed, and uh, that, that made sense. You have the best basketball uh, play downstate for the state championship. Michael, appreciate it as always. One of these days we'll get you on, and we'll sit around and talk uh, Chicago Fire soccer, okay? Yeah, I watched that preseason one yesterday. <laughs> so did I. My stream kept stopping, but other than that, I was doing okay. I kept moving around the house, hoping to get it a little bit better. And uh, they got two more preseason games before the regular season. So we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, enjoy the game today, and we'll see what happens. Maybe Morgan Park can make, uh, give Curry a game today. Should be fun. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Michael. Michael O'Brien from the uh, Sun-Times uh, does a great, great job with the uh, prep coverage over at the Sun-Times. They got a game this afternoon, 4.30. You can find it on the U2. Uh, I saw the ad in the Sun-Times, and uh, you can usually find it if you've got U-verse or Dish or uh, some of the other. I've got direct TV, so i got to see if I, one of my uh, other TVs has an antenna that I can pick it up. But, uh, yeah, good good high school basketball later on today. And we come back, we will talk about what happened with the Chicago Fire yesterday as they did have a preseason game in Carolina. We'll discuss that. We return. Fred Huebner with you in the uh, first Midwest Bank studio here on State Street. The snow's kind of letting up. It's okay outside. No, no worries out there. I'm hitting the road soon. Just be careful. Watch out for me. Watch out for the driver next to you. Right here, we're talking sports on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome back in. I'll be back tomorrow night with Jeff Meller from 7 to 10. No doubt when I work with Meller, lots of baseball talk. And speaking of baseball talk, our Twitter poll questions for today at ESPN 1000. First of all, I ask Cub fans, where will the Cubs finish in the National League Central? 59% said first. 19 second, 11 third, 11 fourth or fifth. White Sox fans, who needs to have the biggest improvement this season? Moncada, Giolito, Lopez, or Rodon? 71% said you want Moncada. I agree. Giolito, 18%. Second and then third, I asked if you tuned into the Alliance of American Football yesterday, week two of the season. 76% said no. I was with the 24% that said yes. Also yesterday, I caught the Chicago Fire. They had a 1-1 draw with the Columbus Crew in the Carolina Challenge Cup. Georgie Mihaljevic is going to be one heck of a player. Just 20 years old. He recorded uh, first preseason goal for the Fire, scoring in the 16th minute of play. And congratulations go out to Patrick Kane. Hawks lost 5-2, but at 17 straight games with a point for Kaner. Our Temi Panarin, oh, he had fun. He scored a couple goals. Uh, don't forget Daytona 500 today if you're interested. Thanks to Felix for all of his help. Thanks to Michael O'Brien of the Sun Times. Thanks to you for listening here on ESPN 1000.